Hello and welcome. This is Across the Table with Hannibal the Magician. I'm Hannibal and I'm doing a semi-halfway sort of live podcast today from the Magic Apple in Studio City, Los Angeles, California. I am joined by Brian and Randy and uh, some other people. I'm, I'm actually doing a book signing. Uh, we've had a few people drop in. We've had some interesting discussions on stagecraft and magic in the modern world. And we're going to continue that because it's time Randy has to get home. Hi, guys. Welcome. Say hello. Hi. Hey. I'll let you Glad figure out which you. one's Brian, which one's Randy. You'll have to figure that one on your own. Um, so we were talking about uh, lectures at the castle and certain magicians that incorporate uh, stagecraft in amongst their lectures. You mentioned, Randy, you mentioned... Fielding West. Fielding West. And you said that stood out in his lecture for you. Can you yes. tell me why? The reason is Fielding talked about having a presence, having post good posture. He talked about not drinking drinks with sugar before coming on stage because you make smacking sounds on the microphone. It's true. He talked about things, um, eye contact with the audience and your comfort level. Sure. But the stagecraft stuff stood out more than the trick stuff. I, yeah. When I most magicians would prefer or will tell you that they would prefer more tricks in lectures. They want to learn new stuff. But the question then comes up, is that really advancing you in particular and magic in general if all you're doing is just regurgitating the same tricks that somebody else has come up with? Brian, do you have, uh, do you have stage experience or stage history? Not really, no. Awesome. I'm an amateur magician. Okay. But you'd be interested in something like that. Definitely. See, my background, I was, and this is, uh, I know I've talked about this before, but it's worth repeating for all the new people who will be listening to this. Um, I started off on stage at six years old. My mother put me on stage with a dance troupe and said, you're going to learn tap and you're going to learn jazz because every gentleman ought to learn how to ballroom dance. If you're going to be a young, a young gentleman, you're going to know how to dance or at least have some grace in your own um, everyday life. Just learn how to move through the space you're in. And dance was the answer to that. And I have got old-fashioned film, the old reel-to-reel stuff that parents shot back in the Super late 1960s, Super early eight. Super 8. Yeah, exactly right. Um, I, I need eventually to have that transferred of me and 20 or 30 other kids on this stage tap dancing and doing jazz, modern jazz at the time, and 29 other children standing behind me who were terrified to be on stage and here's little Hannibal up here just doing his thing. Hey, welcome. How are you? I am well. We are, we're doing the podcast, uh, but yeah. you're welcome to come in. And I'm, I'm doing a little business with Brent. Do your business. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I don't know if you came I, in for me or not. I, I, I did, but, well, I'm here for everybody. Okay. Kind of you know that's, I mean? that's Sorry a, to interrupt. That's a good human way to be. Thank you. <laughs> this is live. I'll, I'll restate that. We're not editing anything out of this. Um, and so from there, I, I did plays in school, and I did... I've never had stage fright, is kind of the point. And I learned acting, and I learned stagecraft, and I did all that years and years and years before I ever picked up magic. And in my late 20s, when I finally got into this, um, I had all that behind me. I didn't start doing magic until I was, like, nearly 27, which is odd, uh, apparently, in this little world, because most, most boys pick it up at around 10 or 11 and become fascinated with it and hold on to it. There's not a large contingent of women in magic. 
it's growing. It is growing, and that's great, and I'm all for it. I, you know, I, I think it's fantastic that we have magicians who also happen to be female, and they bring a whole new perspective to things, um, a whole new storyline that you could you could bring into this if they'll do it. Um, I, I I think everybody should have the opportunity. Now I'm a <laughs> I'm going to state this, and it's going to come out wrong, but nobody's going to tune out yet. I'm a magic bigot. I don't care who you are performing, as long as you're good at it, as long as you put your heart into it. But if you're just halfway doing it, if you're only half-assing your show, I don't want to see you. That's where my line is. That's where my boundary is. I want to see you really mean what you're, what you're doing and mean what you're saying. So that's, the, that's where I approach from. And good stagecraft and having a background in that, I think, aids in that. Because like you were saying, Fielding West talked about eye contact and making contact with the audience. And we talked about my, uh, my push-up. A routine which makes personal contact and takes you back in time to, to when you remember these things. I shouldn't be the only one talking, although I, I will continue if nobody interrupts me. Well, I, the, the advantage of having that background with the dance, with the music, with the stagecraft is that you can develop a type of timing and rhythm. Sure. So that carries over in your performance, which is something that. I see lacking in, in a lot of performances where the magic is technically wonderful, but the timing and the canned responses and it's just kind of like, okay, well, I could have, you know, watched this on YouTube or something. Sure. You know, and, and magic, again, this is the bigot in me coming out. Magic should be experienced live to be experienced best. Um, and you even mentioned, we talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, I don't want to see very much um, the adventures of the props. Right. Exactly. I want to know what the magic means to you. Exactly. So that's why I was talking about the push pop thing because immediately I'm thinking, oh, I remember that when I was a kid. Yeah. And then I didn't put two and two together where you were going to do the, the coin, you know, the coin. Cylinder and and coin, then as soon as yeah. you started doing it, I'm like, oh, wait a second. But you had the story about your father you know, making the bet. Yeah. And it just brought a whole different dynamic where I would I really want to know what the story, you know, how is, how's it going to end? How's it going to end? Yeah. Exactly. And that's, that's, the, that's one of the hallmarks when I, I took storytelling classes and, and, and uh, script writing and, and writing courses uh, through college and through high school. And one of the taglines, one of my favorite professors, whose tagline was, you want your audience going, not only what's going to happen next, but how is this going to end? Right. You don't want them to anticipate 15 minutes into the movie, here's what's going to happen. This one's going to end up with this one. And forgive me, but most romantic comedies, you kind of know, okay, they're going to end up together, and this is how. And then you just watch the story play out. Which is fine if you're into that and that's okay and you, okay. Personal opinions, personal opinion warning, this is coming in. If you're into that kind of thing, if you like to have your stories telling spoon-fed to you and you don't mind bland and common and everyday, and people love oatmeal, it's sold a lot. But occasionally you want to add some raisins or, or, or for God's sake, some craisins even, some cranberry raisins in there just to just to you know add a little something it's life you know life is criminally short i so. think most people are so used to having their entertainment spoon fed to them mm -hmm. in very few situations is it interactive yes i mean people don't even know how to interact with a mind well 
and that brings up you you as a as a performer um and since we're i mean we're in the magic field but yeah even as a mime or or whatever you're trying to do in this particular day and age because of that kind of thing you almost have to educate your audience how to respond and that it's okay to respond and when they start talking for them to realize it's not a theater i mean it's not a movie theater you're not private i can see you and i'm going to interact with you if you if you interact with me so a lot of today's audiences need to be trained yes they just don't know well how many how many people have actually experienced a one-on-one magic show or just literally sitting at the dinner table and having really good magic be performed very few it, it's very few i mean there's uncle harry that you know pulls the quarter out of your ear but that's not the same thing no and that's that's why people don't know how to respond exactly to what you're saying. That also adds into the reputation that ma- that magic and magicians have, to where the majority, and again, personal opinion, just from what I've experienced, they think of us as a lesser form of entertainment, or or, or hack work because we have so many hacks in our business. We have so many Uncle Harrys, right. who I, I know this thing, and that's what magic is. So that when they first experience it for the first time, if you educate them correctly and if you approach them with care and kindness and don't make a don't make a fool out of them they have the opportunity to experience something they've never experienced before and they'll they'll remember it for the rest of their lives which is kind of heavy duty you know yes, it's a heavy responsibility to put on somebody you know who who just wants to do card tricks yes yeah to make it a memorable card trick right and it's not just a card trick it's a card story it can be. Now, I'm going to back up on my own declaration. If you see if you see a well if if the lay public sees a well executed card trick and they get fooled, they will call it magic and they'll remember it forever. Oh, this guy, he put card a card in my hand and it changed into something else and I will never ever forget him. So, the power is inherent in the effect itself. So, it, But it's our job and our duty, perhaps, to flesh it out, to give it more texture, to give it more oomph. Um, prime example. Uh, if you give a, and if you've been a parent, you've probably seen this happen. If you give a, a toddler two, three-year-old who's just starting to get into solid foods and really exploring things like that. If you give them a lemon, right? Oh, yeah. They will bite into it, and then you'll see their whole body react, right? But they won't stop eating it. They'll come no. back, and they'll, do, they'll get more and more, and they'll get that reaction again and again. And then as you get older and you know that experience, the, the, the experience mellows. It becomes more commonplace. But it's that same thing. When you give them a good magic trick... For the first time, the first time they see something of, of some quality, it, it becomes that same reaction, that moment of astonishment, which is uh, greatly valuable. And you might be the first and last magician they ever see. I mean, it's, it's that rare. That's true. There aren't magic castles all over the world, you know? Yep. So, study. Study not only your tricks, but study stagecraft and study human interaction and go outside. And, and play with people. Go outside. Right. <laughs> Turn off the podcast or, or put, on your iP- put on your iPad and iPod and listen to it that way. But get outside and, and interact with people. 
I'm, okay, there you go. That's that's. I'm off the soapbox now. Well, yeah, that's the same thing with DVDs. Put the DVD down and read the book. Read the book. You can go to the park and read a book. Get out among the in the, the green stuff, you know, where real magic happens. And there was a I don't know the name of it, and somebody may write in or somebody may call uh, in the next whenever this gets heard. Um, a number of years ago, there was a kid from somewhere other than the United States, I want to say a second or third world country, who had read books on magic or gotten some books from his library classics. And he didn't have cards, he didn't have coins, and he didn't have any kind of prop. There was no magic shop. So he was literally doing card tricks with leaves and sticks and doing coin tricks with, with acorns and things he found on the ground um, and made this beautiful, beautiful art because he didn't have what we consider commonplace uh, objects. Um, there was a, I know there was a, an article in Genie about it, but right off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you more than that. There was a Japanese kid who did magic with sticks and stones. Was that him? Was that, was that who I'm thinking of? Yeah, but I don't remember his name. There were some other stories like that where somebody will come up with a move that everybody's like, where did you learn that? And it was their interpretation of what they read in the book. Yeah. And they may have misunderstood what was going on, but they were able to make it their own and just fry everybody. And that's where the beauty of art comes in, though. Yeah. I mean, the philosopher, the great philosopher Bob Ross, once said, uh, "We don't have, uh, we don't make mistakes. We have happy accidents." Right. Mm -hmm. So reading through a text, rather than rather than imitating or aping somebody performing on a, on a video. Uh, nothing against videos. I got one of my own. It's available. Um, <laughs> reading a book gives you more experience, or gives you the, the. It makes you think more. It forces you to be more creative in yourself. That way. Now, the book I'm here signing, across the table by Christopher Hannibal, available on Amazon, um, has no magic in it. That being said, the stories have tons of magic in it, but I don't teach tricks. These, uh, these stories, these things that I've put in here are stuff that happened while I was out doing card tricks for people. Um, and uh, some people have found it inspirational and some people have found it uh, a door to open to, for their own art or for their own, their own road. This is dead air. Somebody should know. <laughs> Where does that lead you? Do you have questions as far as what you've seen? Yeah, I, I was. I think this has been fascinating, and interesting. Real quick, discussion. I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. I really don't want to, but I'm gonna. Um, you told me your background when you first walked in. Yes. Would you share that before you just say where your experience comes from? I teach English to high school students who uh, are in special education, and mm -hmm. so I came kind of looking for suggestions that I could give them with the writing process and the storytelling process to make their stories come to life and how there's more than one way to tell a story. Sure. And magic is sort of an out-of-the-box way <clears throat> to tell a story with a surprising ending or a surprising twist. Sure. And it's a memorable way of telling a story. Okay. Awesome. So what was your question you were about to ask or the thing you were about to bring forth. I'm having a short memory now. Okay. I'm well, sorry. all art, just, just to touch on something you said there, all art in whatever form it is 
and I do believe that magic is an art form. Uh, I believe it starts off as a craft, like any good art does, um, but given heart and soul, uh, becomes art. Um, any good art tells a story, and the stories that work the best are going to come from the artist's heart. Uh, a friend of mine defined art as taking your heart out and shining lights on it. And that applies to painting and sculpture and music. The most touching things, the things that, that, that get into your life the most, are either stories that someone tells that move you in a certain way or that you can relate to from your own experience, like the push pot. It, it opens up new doors to you, and that's, that's what good art, good art strives for. Um, we all painted by numbers at first, and some of us, and then some of us imitated Bob Ross in his painting, but then others find their own voice, find their own canvas, find their own ways of doing things, and become the artists we have today. Um, so that would tie in with your storytelling. You don't have to necessarily just stand up and tell a story. You could make a painting. You could make. You could write a song. All great songs that I know are stories of some sort. Even the ones that sing about their problems. Is there a song that? I mean, there. I mean, BB King has a song about his guitar. Yeah. You know, um, but he makes it fascinating because of the heart that he puts into it. So those kinds of roads for storytelling may open up the creative side of special education children. Yeah, that's true. You know. But do you think there's a formula to... Boy, I hope not. To, no, okay. Okay, go for, I'm sorry, I interrupted your well, question. Well, no, no, I, no to, I just, because I'm thinking... See, I'm, re, I'm an analytical person, so I'm thinking, okay, I think of Joseph Campbell and, you know, the mythology and stuff like that, and there's always... You know, beginning, middle, end, there's always the hero. There's, so there's some kind of formula to it. And so I'm thinking, you know, so with magic, telling a story through the props type of thing, there's a formula to it. It's not just the creativity hitting you. Or, or is it just trying over and over again until you have something that fits together? For me, and I only can speak from my own experience, right. is in communication among friends. And how do you tell a story to your friend, here's what happened to me last night. And it becomes a very natural way of just relating to somebody else because you already know them. So to take that from, from that stance and take it to the close-up table, I work primarily close-up, close-up table or, or a parlor size or even on a stage in front of a thousand people, being able to, yes, project your voice and yes, use your body in creative ways and filling up the stage, but making the narrative personal. You're not talking at people, you're talking to them, if that makes sense. I have here a pen. This pen I, I obtained while I was in New York City searching for... That's me talking at you, right? And the difference is, check this out, look how cool that is. I got that in New York. I was up there on a business trip and I saw this in, at the airport. And I thought, that, that's, just, that's a great addition to the look that I have for my app. It's the same story. But you're no, you're no longer, I see, <clears throat> personal opinion, uh, again, I see way too many magicians talk at their audiences. I have here this thing. I have a coin in my hand. I, here's a perfectly ordinary deck of cards. Do you talk to your friends that way? 
and yes, there's theatricality, and yes, there's the Shakespearean stance and, and all the things you learn in acting, but in that kind of acting, you also want to be able to react to your audience in the way they're going to react to you, because acting is reacting, right? Yes. Anybody ever take an acting class where they drilled that into your head? Even though you know the lines, you have to react to what happens on the stage as if it was the first time it ever happened. And in real life and in performance and in just basic sitting down storytelling, it becomes more impactful uh, the more personal you let it be and the more casual you're able to tell the story to someone. I think. Uh, yeah, that definitely makes sense. I just <laughs> having to apply it to my own. Okay, so so let's let's talk about that then. What what do you what do you want to do? I mean, if we could we could take a specific example if you want it. Are you trying to write a story for a specific trick? Are you looking for a common thread amongst several different routines? I, no, I'm not sure what I'm. I get distracted with everything, and I jump from one thing to the next thing, and never finish it. Because we're humans. And then the next next time something shiny shows up, it's like, oh, what is that? Oh, there's that neat thing. Yeah. Um, well, I was telling you guys the story before, the cylinder and coins. It was a neat, pretty, shiny thing. It was a great little narrative, but it was always the, the adventures of the props, and I don't do adventures of the props. Right. And I, while I loved the effect a lot, I wouldn't perform it because it didn't mean anything to me. But once I found the push-up and it miraculously fit over a stack of coins, I suddenly had a narrative, like immediately. We are currently in the Magic Apple, and there is a, there's another room full of people on the other side, uh, so we have a, a wonderful dynamic going on here. That's what your background noise you're hearing is. Maybe you don't hear it. I don't know what the range on the microphone is, but we are enjoying ourselves. Aren't we? Yes, yes we're we having a good time. Have I sparked anything? Have you? Have you yeah. Okay. Do you have a, a, a follow-up question or a, a new? Am I putting everybody on the spot? Yes. I have only the two of you at the moment, so <laughs> congratulations. I know. I feel on the spot. Um, I was like yelling at myself for real. Don't break down. You got here? You've gotten a few ideas. For I've your... gotten a few ideas. Okay. I'm going to ask you a pointed question. Not, not to put you on the spot, but to try to, to get past a, a speed bump, maybe. Okay. Um, can you give me an example of maybe a specific student in mind that is struggling with something? Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Tell me that story. I have, have students who struggle with mental illness. Okay. Where the voices in their heads are louder than the voices in the room. Okay. So... They struggle with which one do they listen to. Their attention is divided between the two. Okay. So they're Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah, very much so. In some ways. Okay. Yes. But so brilliant storytelling can come out of that condition. If they, uh, it's they, I have them write it down, and they write amazing dialogues between all the voices in their heads. That's fantastic. The voices argue with each other. <laughs> Trust me, I've had those voices myself. <laughs> yeah. I so know. Okay. It's a, quite a brilliant thing to read it, and you feel, you know, like the fly on the wall, or you feel, you know, should I be reading this or not? Right, yeah, because it, it becomes personal, and, and it's, it's almost like reading someone's diary, in a way. Well, it's, 
more so because it's multiple diaries, you know, it's right. multiple experiences of the various voices on the page. That's, uh, that'd make a really interesting premise. It would, wouldn't it? For, for, a, for a story or a series of stories that tie in together. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to draw a blank and, and somebody out there will know and perhaps write it in or maybe one of you guys know, but um, <clears throat> I saw a comedian <clears throat> excuse me, on Netflix and okay. his special was called Three Microphones. Oh. And he did a different personality for each one of his three mics. And it wasn't, it wasn't like radically different, but it's like here's a, in this microphone it will be all one-liners and this one will be stories and this will be like things my father told me. That, that voice that's still in my head. And he would move between the three microphones and change up the dynamic of the stories based on where he was standing. And I thought that was brilliant. That is clever. Um, another comedian I admire a lot, uh, Maria Bamford. Uh, also, many specials on Netflix. My favorite of hers, uh, recommended to me by uh, Johnny Millwater, who's a good friend, is one called The Special Special Special. Uh, she had come out of rehab. She had gone in for uh, some mental challenges she was having. She came out and decided, I want to record a special for Netflix. Specifically, I have a lot of stories to tell, but I don't know that I want to tell them to strangers. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that yet. Or, or some narrative along those lines. So she has a, a Netflix special in her own living room. And the entire audience is her parents. She put her parents on the sofa. And stands there with a microphone and delivers the, and, and bakes cookies while she's doing it. And she's got a guy over here on piano for the for the musical breaks <laughs> while she's checking on the cookies. And she does this. Here's why I went into rehab, and here's what's wrong with my head, and here's how my mother screwed me up. And and they're sitting there watching it, and they're they're real good sports about it all the way through. But it's wow. it's fascinating yeah. watching it. So check that out if you get a chance. And the other other guy. Um, who I thought was a, a personal treasure, but he's getting more and more attention all the time, is Mike Berbiglia. Good luck spelling that one. Mike Berbiglia. Um, and his, the way he weaves a story and a joke through a, an hour-long or a 90-minute-long show is phenomenal. His, uh, his last special that came out on Netflix was called Thank God for Jokes. And it's a joke. It's one joke. And it's the entire rest of it is do I tell this joke? I have a specific, I wrote this joke for a very specific place and a very specific time for a very specific person. Do I do it? Do I tell the joke? Because it could be, it could backfire on me in a big way. And, uh, and it's the lessons learned of what's funny and what's not funny and uh, philosophy like jokes should never end with that's a joke. Or get her done. <laughs> One of those things. Young magician. Hi. Did you come to see me or you're just hanging out? You're just hanging out. That was horrible. Go home and practice. That's not magic. What was that? It's a reverse waterfall. He's showing off. He's trying to be impressive. Young Jewish boy in here doing doing card springs. Like like what what do you call that? It's a waterfall? What is that called? Uh anaconda. It's called an anaconda. This is the future of magic. Anacondas. Do it again. <laughs> yeah, see now. yeah. Okay. What was magic about that? It was awesome. Cardistry and it, it was. It was a flourish. Cardistry. It was a flourish. 
Okay, can you entertain an audience with, oh, here it comes, give me more. Uh-oh. Go ahead, do it, go ahead, do the I thing. I can't really do it right now because my fingers are sweaty. I, I understand that. walked over here, walk slash jog three and a half miles to get here. See, that's dedication. He's coming to the magic shop to, to show his anaconda, don't do that, to show his card flourish to the seasoned pros. Quote, I don't know if you could hear that, but he just did a spread with a turnover. This is fascinating radio, isn't it? What's your name? Uh, Yako. Hey, Yako? Yako. You going to change your name on me now? Yako. I'm Hannibal. Good to see you. Me too. How long have you been doing fake magic? I mean, how long have you been doing uh, magic? <laughs> um, cardistry. How long have you been doing cardistry? I do both, mostly magic. That's Show me a magic trick. I'd love to see a magic trick. Think of okay, think of one. More dead air. <laughs> I'm not editing this, by the way. It's going to go out just as it comes out. This is a party. Wait, you want me to move this? Oh, is he hey, it's Handsome Jack. Is he now it's a party. Now it's a party. Is he allowed to come in here? He is allowed to come in here. Handsome Jack, uh, Mr. Lovick. He's one of my sir? oldest and dearest friends. Good to see you, man. Thank you for coming. It's been, what, 30 years now? It's been a while, yeah. I got a, I got a rejection letter from you. We were talking about earlier about the rejection letters I got from the castle. You only got one from I got me. one only from you. One. That's because they didn't keep you all long enough. That's... I'd have gotten dozens. Yeah. <laughs> I still kind of can't believe that, but, you know. Yeah, it's one of those things. How did... Uh, how did the taping go? I contend that I, uh, you got the rejection letter from me before that convention. And I believe there. that. I believe that's yeah. true. Because you sort of implied the other, and I'm like, that can't be true. You knew my name at the time. You knew who I was at the time. And because the, 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 the quote you gave as, as we walked out of the room was, and you want to work at the Magic Castle? You're going to insult me, and you really want to work? So that would imply that... The rejection was before that. It was before that. Yeah. That, I might not have had the letter more, on me. Which makes more sense. Okay. You know, because I can't believe I would have rejected you after having seen you. Seen me live. Well, that was the thing. After, when I finally got hired, the, the thing that, that Jack said was, you're way different live than you are on tape. Oh, but then that, that, might, that doesn't mean you shouldn't buy my DVD, though, because you should totally buy my DVD. Show me a trick. So, a you, young gentleman was about to show a magic trick. No, it's quite all right. I have high hopes. Force. Okay, yeah, total classic force. You see that? Okay, what? Put it back. Should I remember it? Yes. Okay. Put it back right okay. there. Now I'm just going to snap my fingers, but guess what? The, now if I go through the deck, you'll notice one red what? card. Right oh over. my god. No way. Miracle. I have a question. What was your card? Ten of diamonds. The ten of diamonds? The ten of diamonds. This one right here? Yes. I'm just going to take the Ten of Diamonds, place it right over here. The one red card in the deck was the Ten place of Diamonds. It. He places right it under there, a Hannibal Truth from a Liar DVD set. No, wait, Pull it, no, pick no, a different no. card? No, wait, never mind. Just tell me I won't. Spot. Oh, for God's sake, stop now. <laughs> wait, right here? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Look at the card. I got that one. Got, got that? Okay. Listeners at home will know that it's now, the Six of Diamonds. That card is blue. Uh, uh-oh. Magician in trouble. Yeah, there, there's nope. no red card in the deck. I have to do this because oh, yeah. we're audible. But there is a red card. There is. Oh, it's under the Hannibal yes. Truth From a Liar DVD set. What is that one red card? The Five of Clubs. Yeah. Which was not, not the, the card you just that I just chose. It was not. It was not. It was the Six of Diamonds. 
But they're both good cards. But they are both awesome <laughs> cards. We should not discriminate. <laughs> and entering the room is funnyeddy.com. So do you want to know about the typos now? or I've, been, I've gotten a full <laughs> list. I will say this. Uh, I went through it and looked through for typos, and Mick Ayers went through the entire thing and edited and looked for typos. There are currently five <laughs> for the reprinting. But I think I spelled your name right. Yako? What? Yako? No, I heard you. <laughs> Eddie Madrano has uh, joined the group. Yeah, we're recording. Yeah. No, you can talk. I didn't want to say anything. No, it's, it's all sure? just hanging out at the magic shop down there. Thank you. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Are we on a podcast right now? We're on a podcast right I now. I don't remember signing a release. <laughs> it, it's not live. I'll edit you out. It's okay. Beep, 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 beep every time. The guy, the uh, Handsome Jack is currently being played by uh, Jim Neighbors. <laughs> how, did the, uh, how did the taping go? How did the thing that you went to Vegas to do? Oh, it, it went very well. Good. Yeah. Good acts? Uh, fun, yeah. fun stuff? As soon as we stop recording, I'll be able to tell you all about it. Oh, okay. I thought it was all finished. Well, it's finished, but I can't talk about it. I understand. Yeah. Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Still a chance for me to get in, or is it uh, too late? Oh, well, oh, this this wasn't the series. This wasn't. Oh. This wasn't foolish. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was being done. I thought that's where you were going. Uh, no. What we what I taped was being taped simultaneously ah, to foolish, okay. but I would, did not shoot an episode Katie. of foolish. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Here, there, wherever you like. Thank so the thing, the topic we were on um, before the young gentleman came in uh, to do card tricks and then left without buying anything. Or getting the card trick right. Or getting the card <laughs> trick right. <laughs> Wave of the future, ladies and gentlemen. You do a lousy anaconda and he can badly force a, a non-card. Um, stagecraft oh, uh-huh. in, in Magic and how it's, it's sorely lacking. Yeah. Uh, currently, and what could be done about that? Well, <clears throat> what do you mean by stagecraft? Someone approaching uh, performance and having some background in acting, uh, how to talk to an audience, how to engage an audience, how to breathe on stage, how to stand correctly and, and, and be seen and posture and all the things that go along with presenting a story from a stage point of view. Yeah, and blocking. In, and blocking and all yeah. that. Including, it's not limited to stage performance, it also includes sitting at a table and, and being aware of the audience and, and how you move and the way you breathe and the way you present yourself. Yeah. Telling a story in an artistic fashion using stagecraft. Yeah. That's kind of where we were. What are your thoughts, Jeff? What, I, know you have, I know you have opinions. I, well, I do have opinions, and it's... Um, <laughs> it is... Uh, the problem is, or the difficulty is, is that, you know, most magicians, uh, they're their own writer, director, performer, you know, prop master, uh, you know, choreographer, everything. And um, you can't see yourself unless you use, you know, you've got vid- uh, um, uh, liberal use of videotape mm-hmm. and a you know, really honest eye when you watch the video. Right. And so, um, you know, we rely on our friends to give us feedback, and that's not quite enough. That certainly helps. And finding people, 
you know, who are smart and have a good eye and have taste and uh, that are honest. Are <laughs> willing to be honest. And, and willing to be honest. That's all very helpful, but it's often not enough. Uh, sure. And those, those things help us progress. But, but, you know, in theater, every show has a director who oversees all those aspects right. and sits in the audience, you know, during rehearsals and watches and, you know, ideally sees things through the audience's eyes and can make the adjustments that you on stage in the middle of it could not see and therefore for you, you, you don't know what di what problems there are, therefore you can't fix the problems. Right. Yeah. But along with that also comes the, um, you have to be willing to change for someone else's yeah. vision. Sure. I mean, because a great number of, I'm going to use the word us, uh, in, implying magicians, yeah. this, this play is good as it is. Yeah. I, this, is, this is the thing I, this is the yeah. way I do it it gets a reaction yeah and that's where the, that's where the thinking yeah. ends yeah it gets a reaction gets a reaction and the, and the checks cash yeah um, so yeah. you know and it's about everyone has different goals you know sure. and everyone has different sensibilities and everyone has different uh, you know, standards Pass. and desires and, and um, you know motivations for doing magic you know some sure. people some people do it to make money some people do it for, you know, uh, to try and get in TV, and some people do it just to create something interesting and beautiful. Right. You know? I do it for therapy. Yeah. So. I started off as a mime and got into a 12-step program. I'm currently up to magician. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie. Yes. What are your thoughts on these things? Well, I can't do anything else, so this is what I do. <laughs> I was a circus clown for two years, and I loved performing so much that I started. I've always done magic, but I just right. stayed in that stream of entertainment, of, of being was, a family entertainer. Entertainer. It was work release for you, wasn't it? <laughs> no. No. Okay. No. I was studying to be a cop, but that oh. didn't work out. So I do so magic and entertain. People. Next best thing. Yes. You do a beautiful job too, by the way. You've Thank got a, you've got a great dynamic, and you do you engage an audience, and you're very aware of your space on stage. And you, you move a lot. Yes, you, I do. You, but you're always aware of exactly where, where you are and, and, and your and posture and the way you're breathing and your eye contact and all the things, which is, in my opinion, at least twice as difficult if you're performing for children because their attention's everywhere. Yeah, I, I still, to this day, have not had any issues with them taking their iPhones out and yeah. texting or being on Facebook. It's just so bizarre to me that, you know, that, that happens Those now. issues happen, yeah. Something that we never had to deal with 10 years ago, especially like restaurant magic. Yeah. I don't know if I could ever do balloon twisting or walk around magic in a restaurant anymore just because everybody's on their phones. It's the pacifier for the kids now. Sure. I mean, I have I have ways that I deal with it. When when It's been a while since I've done restaurants, a year or two, but... The epidemic was there, and we have we now have a soundtrack, which is great. <laughs> Someone's on their iPhone. But again, it's 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 thinking outside of just here's the trick and let me perform it. There's there's a lot of nuance in dealing with people and interacting with people and meeting them where they are um, to perform because you're with restaurant magic, you're kind of hijacking their time. They didn't they didn't come in expecting it at least the first time. And uh, you've got to sell it. Randy is, uh, for those of you who just came in, 
Uh, Randy is taking notes for her class. She teaches uh, special education, uh, writing and storytelling. Um, and she is looking for ideas on teaching how to present stories for mentally challenged, is that fair to say? Emotionally. Emotionally challenged students. Yeah. And I think she's gotten a, a couple of notes there. Got a, got a few notes. Good. Yeah. Good, good, good. I'm going to wrap it up. We've been going for 40 minutes, and I think we got a lot of good information out. I think it was a lot of fun. I had fun. You could have calmed down a little bit. You know, you're jumping in every couple of seconds with yeah. something to say. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I missed all the fun, apparently. Yeah. Brian, I, I, I don't know if you knew that Brian was here. But he was. <laughs> I'm just here for the free Cheetos. Yeah. <laughs> here for the Cheetos. Um, Brian uh, was the only person who bought a book in advance. So, no. Don't no. put us down, those people who I'm bought not, them. No, it's cool. I'm glad you came event. out. I'm so glad you came out. I'm glad you paid a little extra. That's awesome. She wanted the personal interaction, not the cold-hearted computer. Right. Board. But you got both. I got so. both. Yeah. yeah. I didn't come for It'll the computer it. experience. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't trying to insult you. Okay. You'll, you'll know if I'm trying to insult you. <laughs> yeah. No, I was. I was. I wanted to make the point that Brian did. He. Uh, I put out the thing. If you. If you, uh, if you wanted to sign copy, wanted to reserve one, and he did, and I'm grateful. So this was episode 26. I think, fairly certain, I said that earlier on. King of Diamonds. King of Diamonds. No. 26. 26. Five of diamonds. Ah, very well. Fight me. You go with yours. I'll go with mine. <laughs> um, at the Magic Apple, which is uh, L.A.'s greatest and most diverse magic shop, be sure to visit them, patronize them. They have awesome, awesome uh, stuff. I, like literally sitting in a room full of books and magic and fun stuff. And uh, they deserve your patronage, so make sure you... And they, they were gracious enough to let me do host this thing here. And so uh, thanks to all the guys at the Magic Apple, which is located... Thank you, Eddie. At 11390-11390 Ventura Boulevard in Los Angeles. At Second studi floor. Studio City? Is that the section we're in? Second floor. Second floor. Second floor. I don't know if it's Studio City. Right above the sushi shop. Yes. But, uh, yeah, come see those guys. Patronize them. Um, they will be carrying my book. They will be carrying my DVD if I sweet-talk them the right way. But uh, I do appreciate them uh, helping out with this. Thanks to Brian and Randy and Jack and Eddie and the people whose names I don't remember who came in and got books. I had some fun, and uh, I'm glad you were here. Wherever you are, I hope there is love where you are. <laughs>